Welcome to Hallmark Up with Mary and Sarah. On this episode, we had a little bit of audio recording trouble. Thank you for listening anyway. Welcome to this episode of Hallmark Up, which is outside of our usual season slightly. We, we, and after watching this movie, we've already decided that we might not do any more January ones, but... We're going to be reviewing Taking a Shot at Love with Luke McFarland and Alex Penavega. And today we have a guest along with Mary, of course. Say hello, Mary. Hi. (laughs) Welcome back. That's right. Uh, We have our guest, Trevor. And Trevor, I believe you have some relevant background to this movie. Is that correct? Uh, I just like hockey. I mean, that's more qualifications than I personally have to talk about this, this movie because I do not, in fact. Yeah. So I actually was hoping this movie was going to be a bit like a, the cutting edge because I was a former figure skater um, as a child and I wanted it to be a little bit more about figure skating and it wasn't. So this is a little bit of a take on the cutting edge movie. But I always uh, forget that you figure skated, but of course yes, you did. You're from Minnesota. I know. I grew up in Minnesota. Everybody did. My brothers did not play hockey, though, um, unfortunately. Uh-oh. My mother was not interested in the expense of that sport, I don't think. <laughs> it is an expensive sport. My brother played when I was a kid. They played basketball instead. So, you know, no. and mom and dad liked basketball, so they were okay with that. Um, but, yeah, so I guess we'll um, kick it off by uh, Mary's going to tell us what this is about, and we'll jump in when we, as we see fit. All right, so we've got... Uh, ballet studio owner Jenna and Jenna is in trouble because she's losing students to competitive dance teams students are increasingly choosing to leave ballet and join these competitive teams which is not her thing what she loves about ballet is that it's not a competition it's self-expression in addition she has a rent increase and she's not sure how she can make rent right away for her studio next character is Ryan, Ryan Cooper. Ryan plays hockey for the New York Rangers and he's having trouble coming back from an injury. And his agent, Terry, who conveniently is Jenna's cousin, that that was extremely convenient as things often are in Hallmark movies. But you know, that's also the sort of convenient thing that could happen in a non-Hallmark movie. So whatever, I'll suspend my disbelief that far. Uh, Is talking to Jenna one night over dinner about the fact that Jenna once had the same type of ankle injury that knocked her out of dancing for a while, but she did manage to come back. And he asks her how she did it, and she says, I went back to the ballet basics. And so Terry gets the awesome idea to have Ryan do ballet therapy with Jenna to recover from his injury, and he's going to stay in her guest house while he does this. I think it seems to be in Connecticut. Am I understanding this correctly? I think that's who it was, too. They mentioned Hartford at one point, but... They did mention Hartford at one point. So I think they're in Connecticut, which is interesting because Connecticut's not cheap, and she definitely lives in a million-dollar house. Sorry, a house that would be a million dollars someplace that is cheap. So in Connecticut, it's probably, you know... Uh, like a, like a reality show house. That's what you feel like, like, sign of reality. It was, like, very, very massive, massive. Yeah, I, I couldn't get over it. Like a person who can't afford the rent at their studio, like just rent out a section of your home. Like, I mean, it's so big that it was unrealistic that she would have such a house with her her uh, dance studio in ruin status. 
and it sounds like it used to be her grandparents' farm or something, but there's no farm to be seen, just a massive house and a guest house, which is where Ryan's going to be staying. And so they first meet, and when they first meet, Ryan is the actual worst. I cannot emphasize this enough. I think we all three commented on this when we were watching the movie. Ryan was the worst. So he comes, and first of all, he lets himself into her house because she told him that the key would be under the mat. So he lets himself in not realizing that he's actually supposed to stay in the guest house. And he thinks that her house is just where he's staying. And then he complains about the guest house. Then he complains because there's no TV in the guest house. He just complains and complains and complains. Yeah, Ryan is the actual worst. Yeah, um, they, they don't like give him any like, like real conflict. So he has to just like complain about stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just a complete dick for like the first 20 minutes of the movie. And then after that, he suddenly is a very nice person. As I've noticed sometimes happens with Hallmark movies, there's never, the character is never developed far enough for you to see any compelling reason for yeah. the character to change. But flip up switch, he's just super nice. Yep. Right. He isn't very resistant to ballet, actually. I think I expected him to put up a sort of, you know, manly man macho, like, oh, I'm not doing ballet sort of thing. And he didn't, which is fine. And I have no problem with the fact that he didn't. That's actually kind of nice that he didn't. But it is sort of odd considering that for the first 20 minutes of the movie, he is a huge dick, and I cannot emphasize this enough. Jenna, meanwhile, her entire philosophy is huga, and she has a little decorative thing and a whimsical font in her house that says huga farms, which was apparently the philosophy of her Danish grandparents, whose farm it was originally. Anyways, and after that, I largely stopped taking notes. The reason being that everything that happens after this is just a series of scenes in which Ryan stops being a dick and he and Jenna fall in love. Ryan does very nice things, such as being very encouraging to little Felix, who is one of Jenna's dancers. What and a stupid kid and a stupid name. Like, that was, he was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. Felix is all right. Come on. There's I, I a lot not wrong with this movie. Felix. Don't take it out on poor Felix. That's true. It's not his fault that he got cast in a movie where he had to play a ballerina and a hockey player at the same time. That's actually a very challenging acting job, I suppose, if you think about it. Felix is into both ballet and hockey, and he's not doing that well with hockey. And so, of course, Ryan takes the opportunity to help him out. And doing that, he also gets closer to Matt, who is Jenna's next door neighbor and married to Jenna's friend, Aaron and Matt we learn at one point was headed for the NHL and then had to step back to take over the family business after his father died and so Ryan is helping Matt like revive his love for the sport by sort of like inviting Felix to you know practice some hockey with him and then springing it on Matt that like actually Matt's going to be helping you which was very presumptuous by the way that could easily not have gone as well as he thought it was going to go and at the end, you know, Matt is, of course, offered a coaching gig for, like, the local uh, youth league. And he says he'll think about it, to which Ryan says to him, and I quote, there are always one million reasons to say no, but if you find the courage to say yes, great things can happen. Uh, that, was a, yeah. that, was, that would be almost inside a Hallmark card, I think. I think it actually would be, yeah. And that was not even the most quotable moment of the movie for me, but I'll come back to that. So, and I'm sure you can guess the other part of the ending, which is Ryan's return to the team is a smashing success. He returns and is the star of this wonderfully played game. And then he realizes that he really loves Jenna and he races back to Connecticut 
after the game in time to be there for her kids dance recital and tells her that he loves her and you know can they be together and he will never let her down and she says i would like nothing more and um oh i've forgotten a part of both of their backstories is they both got dumped when they had their respective injuries his girlfriend dumped him when he got injured and was not playing anymore and was not you know in the spotlight anymore and she had been dating the director of the ballet company who dumped her and married her understudy when she oh, got yes. injured that was that was just gut-wrenching for her, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more dramatic than, like, I dated this girl and she only liked me because I was famous versus, like, my boyfriend not only dumped me and, like, fired me, but then married my understudy. Yeah, so, and, and I was sleeping with the boss and that was okay. Right, so there's that, too. You know, showbiz. They, they do yeah. things in showbiz I don't understand. That's right. That's apparently more acceptable. And so that was the other part of the, both of their backstories that they had going on. So he's like, I know you've been let down in the past and people you thought would be there for you weren't. And I just want you to know that I'll always be there, blah, blah, blah. And so then they kiss. Yeah. And he, of course, says, I love you before they kiss. Then it is presumed everyone will live happily ever after and live on Huga Farms next door to Matt and Aaron. And it will be lovely at the end. I, th I actually think, I mean, I know we usually go into far more detail on our recap, but I think this movie was probably only worth about that much recap. Because, and we'll potentially get into some of the other scenes. I definitely want to talk about one in our bingo segment in particular. And in fact, in the relatable one as well. But this, I, I thought, I felt like the bulk of this movie was just, just not even interesting enough to need the probably middle 45 minutes. What do you no. think? <laughs> and I think Trevor and I both commented on the fact that there was this really awkward scene. It was seriously a good 90 seconds of him finding the key and entering her house. That was yeah. totally unnecessary. For sure. Yeah. This is kind of the first one we watched outside of Christmas. And, and maybe they just don't try as hard in non-Christmas to make the middle be. Usually there's a like subplot. You know, I, I felt that the fact that the neighbors were already married, like, ruined the possibility of another couple getting together. Yeah, I know, that's true. Like, there is all they, kinds of opportunities for subplots. I kind of hint at is never, never bother explaining at all. Exactly. It just, it just <laughs> was not, there was just nothing to really, there's not even anything to hardly make fun of, because it was just really dull. But that, that potentially, and we thought we would maybe watch the New Year's resolution one. Now we're not so sure. But we may do a Valentine's one to just see how cheesy they get. But I would like to kind of have some comparison to see if the plot lines out of season are just not as good. And, and if we and to describe it as good would be really difficult anyway. But, you know, if they just don't try as hard when they don't have the crazy audience they have at Christmas time. I wonder if we're looking at a different group of people that watches Hallmark movies in the off season yeah. compared to watching them only at Christmas. I do think my mom watches them pretty much all the time. Although I can tell you that she was super glad that the movies and mysteries channel has gone back to like Matt Locke and Magnum and all these kind of old school mystery shows that they have on there. She loves to watch those in the daytime, but I think she does watch them out of season. I suppose if you're a retired person, they're like nice, feel-good things to watch right now. But I don't know who else watches them in the off-season, but I'm, I'm sure my social media presence and Hallmarked Up will be able to tell us who watches them in the off-season for sure. 
Yeah, it is interesting to see for sure. I think my mom watches them on occasion in the off-season, but not with the same frequency that she does at Christmas, for sure. Well, and my mom's probably the same. Like, I know she will turn on the channel at Christmas and she'll be like, oh, I already saw this one. Unless it's a brand new one. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's definitely seen some of the ones from, from the years of yore, shall we say. Oh, well, actually, this movie has been on for a while. I mean, there's 127 reviews of uh, Taking a Shot at Love. Uh, loved it. This movie was really fun. It had all the elements of a great romance. I loved the make child, da- oh, the, I'm guessing they mean male child dancer and athlete stereotype busting. Yes. Love, love, love this movie. Absolutely love this. Really missing hockey right now. And appreciate, oh, can you imagine somebody being really sad about hockey? So they tune into Hallmark to get their, their fill of hockey. You know, takes like, all kinds. One nit of, of hockey footage that's in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Well acted. Wonderful story about ballet and hockey. Who would have guessed? They were fabulous together. They had chemistry. I, I don't know. We always debate about that, Mary. I think they had more chemistry than the average. Sorry, this year, the Hallmark couple chemistry has been above, well above last year's average. So I think that's, they're average for this year, but above last year's average. This actually is something that my mom did comment on. Um, good movie with great chemistry between the actors. When Ryan is late for his first season, he tells Jenna he was signing autographs outside the Excel Center. The Excel Center is home of the Minnesota Wild, not a minor league hockey team for the Rangers. Um, my mom did, of course, say, is this taking place in Minnesota? <laughs> because nice. we, of course, have been to the Excel Center many, many at times. But yeah, for the most part, this appears to get um, very good reviews. And it talks about the... Uh, the they're talking about the... How did you pronounce her her house again, Mary? Huga. Huga, yes. So Huga is mentioned several times, so they love that little shout out. Um, yeah, they, they, everyone is loving it. That's a good bingo. Congratulations. This probably, because we're not going to do a ton of recapping, I'm going to get back to my notes bring us to talk about what the Hallmark, what we traditionally call the Hallmark Christmas bingo moment. Now, obviously, this won't have anything to do with, potentially, you could have hot chocolate, I suppose, because it's still winter time, but it's not going to be Christmas. It's not going to be a man who may, may or may not be Santa, but sort of the cheesiest Hallmarky moment that we that we would have. And um, this could almost be a new bingo card for us, Mary, because it's outside of that Christmas realm. I still um, found plenty of stuff that would have fit on our Christmas bingo card. Actually, you guys go first, so I can hear what you guys thought first, because I'm going to have several. If not, okay, I cool. might take them all. I have a couple. Well, the first one would definitely be new. The second one could be added to the Christmas one, potentially. So the first one, I would say, is a single woman. And this does happen in Christmas movies as well, but they don't do it as often. Um, a single woman who is living well above her means. If she did inherit it, which we think maybe I was being a bit rough on her, but like like Mary said, this house was like definitely a million dollars plus home. And if she has that big a house, like you could, I felt like you could probably save the dance studio. And and remind me why they didn't move the dance studio to the barn? Why she never did that? It was enough to code. Oh, okay. It would, it would have taken and, a lot of renovation work. He encouraged her to eventually renovate the barn and get it up to code and move the studio there and it sounds like that's a you know project they could complete together one day 
in, in the sequel. I, I did feel like in the rewrite, it, it maybe that's where it should be. I don't know. Anyway, we'll figure that out. So that was one thing that I thought was kind of cheesy that like she can't pay her rent and she has a stove that's probably worth as much as the rent would be for a couple months at least um, in her house. But like I said, maybe that's being a bit unfair. Then the other one that I found was, and we talked about this a bit uh, while we were watching the movie, is I thought the power outage was super cheesy. They have this moment where the power goes out and it's like a thunderstorm in winter, um, which I'm sure occurs, but I haven't been through a lot in my life. And the power goes out and they have their neighbor friends come over and they play games and it's super bright in there with their 50,000 candles and they decide to sleep on the couch because it will be closer to the fireplace because obviously the heat's not working but then they're they barely have any blankets on to keep them warm and i just thought that was just like a power outage we we could incorporate those in christmas movies and how people would should fall in love when the power's out and there's all candles everywhere Actually, there was a power outage in the last movie that we watched, if you recall, Love Lights Hanukkah. Oh, yes, of course there was. And they had a romantic dinner for two, just by the lights of the menorah, <laughs> whatever they were doing. Trevor, what about you? What was your cheesiest moment for this movie? Probably, like, the, the scene of him, like, having his, uh, the guy, lawyer guy or whatever, get back on the ice or whatever was pretty... And that, like, I, I think you got mentioned that one, one line that he had, like, you can come up with all these excuses. Like, it was just brutally, uh, brutally over the top. And thank you for pointing out that Matt, the neighbor, was, in fact, a lawyer. I had forgotten that detail because his sob story is all that he had to quit the NHL so that he could take over the family business, which makes oh, it sound yeah, like a realist, realist attorney. That's right. I'm going to give up hockey because I went to school for seven years to become a lawyer. <laughs> Wow, right, like it's not you know the general store. Of right, right. Make it sound like these like something of a, some kind of sentimental family business that's just been put down. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a real estate lawyer. Yeah, it's not like some skill you inherited or started doing when you were a child and blah blah blah. <laughs> just running the family law firm. I love it. I forgot about that too. Mary, what about you? Okay, so I definitely thought of the power outage. I definitely thought of the hot cocoa. I definitely thought of that little outdoor winter festival thing they were at, which definitely looked to me like a Christmas market. A big one for me, though, is going to be him teaching her to ice skate. That is something that we actually did not see this year. So maybe Hallmark's branching out a bit, but has in... Christmas has passed been a major recurring Hallmark trope. Um, one partner teaching the other to ice skate and someone slipping and catching them and that sort of thing. They took that a little bit to an extreme, though, where she's about to fall and he steadies her and she looks him in the eye and says, you saved me. And he mm -hmm. says, no, you saved me. It was so bad. Actually, it does remind me, Mary, now I have not seen this movie. Perhaps I should ask my mom. Um, but I believe that Danica McKellar was in a movie that was about ice skating this year. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Which we did not watch. But you're right. It's usually, there's almost always a, I fell on the ice. Oh, my God. You it's always me. a very cutesy one of them knowing how to skate and the other being very awkward. The gender can change, whether it's the man or the woman who's awkward on the ice can change. But there is frequently a somebody doesn't know how to skate and somebody else has to study them sort of scene. 
Yeah, of course. And this one was obvious who was going to be who, but it still was just as cheesy. I agree. But I have one more. Oh, excellent. <laughs> that it. is, it's not even, I, I don't even know if it's accurate to call it a bingo mo- moment. It's more just, I told you there was a line I liked even better that encapsulates, I think, the entire Hallmark channel and I think should actually just be the new name of a Hallmark channel. And that's at the very beginning of the movie. So Aaron, the neighbor, best friend, walks in and Jenna is drinking coffee in her kitchen, her million dollar kitchen. And Aaron tells her that she looks like she's in a coffee commercial and they start joking about that, you know, the man in flannel or whatever. And then Aaron utters the line, and I quote, you'll find your flannel man someday, unquote. So I just want to propose that. I totally didn't get that oh my god that that is amazing we've talked about the flannel as a thing for so long on this podcast i can't even believe that they mentioned that specifically right it's becoming self-aware so i think that i'm proposing that as a new name for the entire hallmark channel you'll find your flannel man someday oh my god maybe they should that's a movie they should make you know because we've we've definitely talked about the flannel henley guy or the suit guy for a really long time and that's amazing. I love it. I totally missed that. Good catch, Mary. I like it's, that. It, it was an A-plus line for its context. All right. Let's talk about our relatable ones. And in a movie about a dancer and a hockey player, you know, you might struggle. But I do have one thing that I thought was relatively relatable. And I'm going to bring it back to the power outage. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we live in Pennsylvania and uh, particularly where I live in Pennsylvania and Mary too, she's not that far away from me actually, there are quite a lot of trees and the power goes out a lot in Pennsylvania. And I grew up in Minnesota where that doesn't happen because all the power lines are buried in the ground and you know, like they couldn't afford to lose their heat when it's minus 40. So, you know, this happens a lot in Pennsylvania, and I, probably one of the first winters that I owned my house, we had a bomb cyclone in about February or March, and the, a tree came down in my front yard. It took off my gutter, but that didn't cause the power to go out. Other things did, and I didn't have power in my house for five days. <laughs> I had never, and I didn't really have anywhere else to kind of go, and so I just, I didn't go to work. And I mean, it was tons and tons of snow and I would spend my days in the cinema, like watching movies. And then I would just go home. And this is why I laughed at them sleeping on the couch by the fireplace. I don't have a fireplace in my house, but I do know that when you don't have power and it's freezing cold, you have to wear like a shitload of layers because it's like 30 degrees. I think at the lowest point, to be fair, I think it got down to like 41 in my house upstairs. But, like, I had 50 blankets. I wore a beanie and a scarf and gloves and, you know, socks and slippers and everything to bed. And I saw them with, like, their little throw blankets. And I was like, those two better be, like, getting their clothes off and getting naked or else they're not going to be warm tonight for sure. Right? But- <laughs> In any normal movie, this bears repeating that, uh-oh, the power's off. It's too slippery outside for you to walk the 20 feet to the guest house and risk re-injuring your ankle. Guests would better stay here tonight. In any normal movie, that would have been a sex scene. Yeah, definitely. And they would have gone to the bedroom. Let's be real. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, they've been in front of the fireplace, but, like, that was an awesome opportunity to, like, 
do more, especially when you already know you're in love with her after like 30 seconds of knowing her. You may as well just go for it. But not on Hallmark, as we know. Yeah, so that was my relatable moment. What about you, Trevor? What did you find relatable in this movie? Tough, but I, the, the only thing I can really think of and it's kind of stretched with, with the scene where he's like annoyed uh, the pour over cover coffee. <laughs> because, like, uh, I just hate if, 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 like, like, somewhere where, like, there's only one way to make coffee and it's like we don't feel like dealing with. Feather has twice. Like, I, I like French coffee, but I don't really, I wouldn't like to use a French press because you gotta, like, clean it and stuff and it's annoying. So, like, I kind of relate to that. I love that the most relatable thing is is coffee is coffee. Like that that means you must have really liked this one, Trevor. Definitely. Actually, Trevor stole my answer. Oh no! I don't even drink coffee. But what was relatable about that scene was the fact that he's at her house in the morning, and she's making what I assume is pour over coffee. I've never made pour over coffee, but I assume that's how you make pour over coffee, and it seems to be taking forever. And he says something, and she's like, well, how do you make coffee? And he's like, um, with a machine, you press a button. And I'm like, yeah, that's how the fuck you make coffee. It's not hard, yeah, people. Yeah. It's not hard. So I, I also... Enormous can of Folgers and a machine. That is what I drink every day. Which is interesting that you say that, Trevor, because usually, in, in days of yore, Hallmark was huge into Folgers product placement. Oh, uh, really, really? Oh, yeah, it was in every movie. They've backed away from that. They must have lost their contract or something. I don't know. But they had massive Folgers, like obvious Folgers product placement in every movie. So what's relatable about that scene is the fact that when she says to him, well, how would you make coffee? He looks at her like she's fucking crazy, as if pour over is the only way to make a fucking cup of coffee. All right. So we talked about at the start that this movie had very little substance in the middle and that it was really lacking some conflict, which is a bit typical of Hallmark. They don't like to have conflict. We've talked about the amicable breakups many times on this podcast, which there weren't any in this movie, I might add. That was interesting. There's almost always an amicable breakup in a Christmas movie. What do we think would make this more conflicting? And would we would we turn this movie into something totally negative or would it still be hallmarky what what do we think we would do well i think that trevor brought up an extremely good point and trevor i sorry i didn't ask this earlier was this your first hallmark movie experience i think it was as you remember if I've, I've seen one of these before and i don't believe i have well trevor noted something right away which of course is a relatively frequent problem with the Hallmark Christmas movies and apparently with the non-Christmas movies as well, which is a lack of any conflict whatsoever. And he thought of several opportunities for introducing some sort of conflict that would have heightened the tension in the movie and made us care what happens from one scene to the next. What were a few of those, Trevor? So first, like, we don't really get a whole reason to care about, like, this play or the team that he plays just for, what's going on. I was at the the rehabbing an injury angle was a poor choice because I mean that's just boring and and uh, um, so what I say should have done is you make this hockey player character like he's like a, a old school like like buzzer enforcer type hockey player who just like you know guy who like like fights people stuff and he is kind of kind of more and more washed up and 
the uh, these these players who are more, more these like, speedy finesse players are uh, taking a spot, which is also like a, a real real thing trend in hockey. So, like makes sense. And so so like, he has to, in order to stay, save his career, he has to like reinvent his game, and then that's why why he and does this, the like like. like the, I never see him him like like fall. There's never a point where he is playing hockey well and he has some like hook injury or something, and it's like he just start like we like, starts out with him just like like at practice wincing and in pain. Like when there's never like a beginning where where he's doing well or, or something, and then has this this thing happen. So yeah, it was one one that I think was just more sense, and and you could also introduce like slight like, antagonist. Uh, of like a young hotshot, uh, you know, we who's like gunning for his job, basically. And then on the other side with the uh, Jenner from the dance studio, studio, they kind of like, like hint at, you know, I mean, they have that really extremely weird scene of the two uh, men expecting that they're pulling their uh, daughter out of the dance dance class, which like, like it's not clear, like clear, like like this is such a big deal or whatever, and like you could have. You could have rid of rent conflict there, or like, and it's like weird because like, like later they kind of try to try to lie that like like those women like, you know, she gives she gives Jenna like a weird look when she like putting up that like poster or whatever, and and so it's almost like this person was like supposed to be an antagonist, but like just just wasn't like she, she should, I think that those like those characters should have been like more like you know kind of like, like snooty holes and she's like, like their dog. You know, running the, the group of dancers and like that. That poster like, scene was quite an interesting scene because you're right. Like they they were supposed she's, she's to be supposed like to see, yeah. crazy competition or something, and it was just sort of brushed over. That was really strange. No, I agree. We definitely could have had, and then it could have turned into like crazy competitive dance moms in a non-reality setting, which could have been far more interesting for sure. It's also interesting that this thing about her not doing competition is brought up early on. And I definitely thought that was going to be a nod to some sort of tension between her and Ryan, because obviously competition is his livelihood. And so I thought there was going to be something there, even if it was just the most hallmark of all things, which would be like her teaching her to be a little, him teaching her to be a little bit more competitive and her teaching him to be a little bit more artistic. And look, they both learned from each other. Isn't that cute? They didn't even go there with the competition thing. It was just there and she never compromised on it, which is fine, but then why bring it up? Well, and I, I, um, in my like, I don't know, downtime and, you know, one boredom, whatever, I tend to watch a lot of old shows that I've seen a hundred times over that just make me laugh. And I recently rewatched this episode of How I Met Your Mother when they decide they need to go to the mall. And Robin is like, oh, I can't go to the mall. And they spend a whole episode like trying to figure out why Robin can't go to the mall. And then they find out that it's that she was a, a, a teenage pop star in Canada and she wrote a song called Let's Go to the Mall. <laughs> And she had to, like, dance around balls, and she ate Wetzel's pretzels and drank Orange Julius for, like, years of her life, and she hates going to the balls. And that would have been an interesting thing for Jenna to have some, like, really traumatic story about why she doesn't do competition anymore. Because it was only really about, was it even about her injury? Her injury was, like, more related to her dating breakup than... Like, there was no real reason why we wouldn't be competitive dancing anymore, right? Well, and also, don't tell me that being a professional ballerina is not 
a competitive profession. Oh my god, they're like the most competitive people on the planet. So it was weird that that was like, oh no, we just don't compete. We just do it for the artistic. But you're right, that was a miss too, Mary, that they didn't sort of combine their two loves into becoming more centered people. Definitely. Another thing, okay, hear me out here. The romance was boring and not worthy of being the main plot line here. What if instead we just make it like a Mighty Ducks reboot? Where this injured hockey player rolls into town and meets, you know, ballerino Felix and his hockey team. And they're this kind of not particularly talented, but bright and motivated group of kids who just want to have fun and do something they can be proud of. And he like recruits the other kids from the dance studio to join this hockey team. And they come up with a name like the dancing penguins or something. I don't know. And they take the league by storm. I don't know. Like it could be funny. It could be self-aware. It could be tongue in cheek. And even if it's none of those things and it's just like, ends up being like a Mighty Ducks ripoff, I would still enjoy it more than this movie. I think that also presents an opportunity to be like, you know, the end, like him and, and the kids who are now, now hockey players and dancers are, uh, do the, like he does the dance competition thing with them. Like, like maybe they, like, yes. they're, they're, maybe they're like dance competition thing is like, is like they're wearing like hockey jerseys on stage, just like their gimmick or something. But like, yeah, they, they could have done that. That would have been a good way to, to to do, to do. Oh, for sure, for sure. There's also been fun, a coming yeah. together of, of hockey students and ballet students and some kind of performance. The other thing I was going to complain about was that they, they didn't convert the barn. So maybe that becomes like his little um, dancing penguins practice grounds or something. I think also Trevor brought up at some point, it seems entirely improbable that this woman never learned how to ice skate. And I make, and I make it seem like the town they live is like a hockey town. And like, like you know, it's a very it's like a, a tundra. They're, they're like at one point, one point they're oh, here we go. There's an ice ice storm coming. They say that like as if this happens all the time. But like, but like, just never ice skate in their life. Yeah, that's true. I mean, especially someone that grew up in Minnesota. Like, I mean, the kids there, especially the hockey people. Now, I don't know necessarily about every figure skater I ever met, but like, definitely the hockey kids in Minnesota. Like, they can skate before they can walk. Almost, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and, you know, everybody has, like, the land of 10,000 lakes. There's a lake in everyone's backyards. If you live in a town like that, it definitely it, it definitely allows for a bit of learning at some point. At least at least to be able to get yourself around the ice rink, for sure. All right. So is this, is our mighty ducks slash dancing penguins, do they still, <laughs> do they still fall in love? Yes. Yes. Sure. They fall in love. The, we commented this whole season on how we preferred... The alternative love story over the the main love story in most of the movies we watched this year and particularly when they involved older people M- maybe this is like maybe a ballet girl and one of the dancing penguins fall in love or something but and we don't need to elaborate but i just feel like it definitely needs to have an added love story because everybody was kind of set in this one except for these two amazingly well, I mean, to be fair, there was a secondary plot. It just happened not to be romantic. And that was discovering that Matt missed his shot at the NHL and then him getting back into hockey and coaching. Oh, but and it was, 
somehow right it was somehow an even more awkward plot than a love story which is just because, again it's family uh, law it, it wasn't even family law it was real estate law his family oh, business right, was real right. estate law and then in addition it was his rekindled love for hockey was achieved by this setup that had every possibility of going extremely badly and ending with matt saying like this was really inappropriate of you and like this is still a sensitive subject but anyway so it just wasn't a particularly convincing plot and we won't need it if we if we've got our you know dancing penguins hockey team so or i mean matt could just be the assistant coach who cares i you know whatever um so we we could think of a secondary romance there and since the neighbors are already paired off we could a we could make them not paired off yet and we could have them meet and fall in love but then we have to come up with like how we know aaron and how i mean maybe aaron's the next door neighbor and matt is the assistant coach and that's how they meet i don't know or it could be you know it could be a teenage romance why not it could be two of the kids i mean it could be you know a 16 year old boy ballerina and a 16 year old girl goalie i don't know why not well, like, that's good that's good or sure. a 16 year old boy ballerina and a 16 year old boy goalie why not like also fine Oh but, no, that that definitely I like that that could be good. And they both, and, and then they turn into the like, let me teach you a bit about artistry, and I'll teach you a bit about competition. Sure, that yeah, could, why not? That could be really good. I like that for sure. So coming up, and we just usually Trevor try to guess what we think these movies might be about. So the January movies, as you can imagine, there's not nearly as many because there's only four weeks, and we don't do quite the premiere situation that we do on. Um, on the Christmas movie season, but we have a movie coming up called Two for the Win, A Winter Getaway. That's two separate movies, by the way. <laughs> and Snow Kissed. Any I think ideas? the only one of those we haven't guessed on yet is A Winter Getaway, for what it's worth. True. Unless, Trevor, if you have a particularly good guess for any of those. Wait, so can you say them one more time? Two for the Win, A Winter Getaway, and snow kissed. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, y'all got to be super like something very, very obvious and boring. Getter is probably about a struggling couple that have a winter getter getter when everything goes great and fine. <laughs> <laughs> they they cut vacation. That's probably what it's actually every about. Every relationship just resolved. That's no. probably what it's actually about. What should it be about? Because I think a winter getaway could be a sort of. 90s style deeply mediocre action movie oh, with yes. um a couple is going on a winter getaway to save their failing marriage they have you know teenage children and the romance is gone and you know they've been fighting and they want to like reconnect and rekindle their flame and so they go on this winter getaway but then it turns out that i don't know their kids get kidnapped or something like that and so then they're like you know, skiing after bad guys through the Alps or something. Yeah, it could be like a, like a lease in the vehicle. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I like that too. I was going to say, and I, we probably talked about Snow Kiss before, but I feel like Snow Kiss should be something like kissing a snowman that comes to life. Oh, that'd be cute. And then, and then, and she has to try and do everything she can to figure out how to keep him from melting away or something like that. 
Oh, so she falls so in love with the snowman. Yes, she falls in love with the snowman. So he's like but a hot like snowman. movie where like a like, dies and comes back because like, a snowman. I think it had Michael Keaton in it. it was, like, oh, what was it Jack called? Frost? Was yeah, it Jack yeah. Frost? I think isn't that not basically the. Ah, I, I, could, I could be right. It, it could be a home a hallmark take on Jack Frost, but you're right. It could be. This, this would have to be like an extremely like chiseled out snowman or something. That's totally right. It, he's not just a snowman. He's a fucking ice sculpture. Yeah, that's yeah. There you go. There you go. And and she someone like dares her to kiss the ice sculpture and it comes to life as her like prince or whatever. Um, totally. I think that would be good. I'd like to see that one. Sure. We know one thing for sure that will always happen in a Hallmark movie, and that is... They will. Fall in love. Correct. Uh, Well, that just about wraps up for this episode of Hallmark Duff's review of Taking a Shot at Love. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us with your your hockey insights. Thanks, no problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. We wish that there had been more hockey to have insight about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But... We will get you back to help us write the Dancing Penguins version. Oh, yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Have a good one, everyone, and we'll talk to you in a little while. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Hallmark Doc. Find us online at hallmarkdoc.com, on Instagram at hallmarkdoc, and on Facebook at hallmarkdoc with Mary and Sarah. Remember to follow, listen, and review wherever you get your podcasts.